Hello, heroes, and welcome to Session Zero, a podcast exploring role-playing through a psychological perspective. I'm Porter Green. And I'm Steve Discont. Today, we will be discussing GMing. Or more explicitly, we'll be talking about the theory of GMing, what it means to make up the experience of being a GM and what we expect of that, as well as what are the different styles of GMing and how can that impact the table? Yeah, because I mean, if you think of a game as kind of like a family system or like the group dynamics we were talking about last time, the DM is kind of like the person who's identified themselves to be sort of the parent figure or the person with is in charge of the rules or sort of directing things and taking the extra time to keep everybody else happy and working together. Absolutely. And if we were to turn that towards a traditional work perspective, that would be like a supervisor or a manager, someone that we're turning to. We have certain expectations that we turn to with them, things that we're hoping to get out of them in the experience when we're at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, from your perspective, Porter, what do you expect out of a GM? I expect somebody who's going to do a large portion of the the backbone of the story. So they're going to be like, here's a scenario and here's a description of that scenario. The people that are in it, the things that are around you. Now, what are you going to do with it? See, that differs a little bit from how I interpret how a GM can be. And maybe it's because of my own personal style. But when I think of a GM, I interpret that more as someone who collaboratively works with the players to figure out the world. So sometimes they might be there to have that role of I've created everyone around you. While sometimes I know that I, as a GM have asked a player, all right, here's this person. Can I have you play them for a moment? Can you describe them? What is a unique feature of them? So it's more of a, I tend to look at it as a more of an integrative process. Interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say that my view or, or my style, I guess, of having a DM or DMing is not integrative. I expect people to bring their own pieces of the world and backstories and people and things to that world as well. It just, I think it helps to have one person who's kind of got the flow chart for the day in their mind. Sure, the sure. The same way if you're walking into like a group or a class or a meeting, somebody's got to be the one who knows what we need to cover today to get us from here to there. That's fair. Someone who is at the front of the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get with that. So I think what we're initially talking about is what are the theories that we have about what a GM is? Sure. Well, there's a lot of psychological theories that have to do with personality and leadership style and how those things develop and work together. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the first ones I wanted to talk about was this idea of an implicit theory. Mm-hmm. So an implicit theory in psychology is what we would consider a meaning framework, a meaning construction framework. Mm-hmm. It is something that is either a naive or a lay system of beliefs that we use in our everyday lives so that we can interpret and evaluate our social world. So in that context, it is the expectations and our understandings of what a GM is, what they do, how we expect them to interact with players. And that gives us an understanding through which we can interpret and and evaluate the gaming experience and the social world that is either your table as a role player or your table as a LARPer. So an implicit theory is kind of like a schema or a set of rules and expectations that go along with, with a role. Absolutely. I think turning it to the idea of the schema is very on the nose. You know, we use these schemas or in this case, an implicit theory. 
we would be using these in the way that we, it informs our social actions and it's mm -hmm. relevant to our understanding of even the stereotypes and expectations we have of role playing. So for example, when you were saying earlier that a GM, when you think of a GM or a storyteller or a master of ceremonies, that they are the person who holds all the rules, that they help mold and create the world. I feel like that what we could say is that's part of your implicit theory mm -hmm. of what a GM is supposed to be mm -hmm. and what they're supposed to do. And that's another thing that's important like about implicit theories is in terms of how they function in the human mind is that they let us predict how someone else is going to behave. Because my implicit theory of what I'm expecting from somebody is how I predict their behavior and how I predict kind of what would be a good outcome, which makes us feel safe and comfortable and less anxious when we kind of have an implicit theory and we've tested it and we know that it works. Absolutely. And those implicit theories, if we're to look at it from where the players interacting with the GM, mm -hmm. that's going to impact our perceptions of what we have when we come to the table. If we come to the table and we, ex we have this belief that a GM is supposed to be fostering and supportive and we encounter someone who isn't, we will think that they go against our expectations and rules. And that mm -hmm. could lead to negative reactions from us. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always have to be like a bad DM versus a good DM thing either. Like I can think of one example from my own gaming career wherein I went from a game that there was a certain sort of implicit theory about how GMing worked because it was Shadowrun and there's a lot of dice and a lot of counting in Shadowrun. So when you're, when you're doing that in a fast-paced environment, you tend to sort of pre-roll. So you'll do your roll and then inform the GM of what you rolled. Mm -hmm. um, and the GM expected us to sort of have a working understanding of what sort of things we were going to roll and what would be an appropriate skill to choose for things. So we could say, I rolled my perception. Here's what I got. I moved to a different gaming group at one point and was playing in, I'm super ashamed of this, but a Dragon Ball Z game <laughs> in college. So I didn't know better. And I sat down and the very first time that I went to roll in that game, I picked up my dice and I rolled I think it may have been a perception check and said, I rolled my perception and got X. What did I see? And the GM stopped dead and looked at me and said, never roll dice at my table unless I tell you to. Wow, really? Yeah. And it really upset him that I had sort of taken the initiative to pick a skill and roll something without him telling me what to roll. So his implicit theory of what his role and my role were, were very different than what I was accustomed to. And it led to me feeling just very almost scared, like very anxious as a player and, and embarrassed. I'm sorry to hear that you had that experience. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like then we can also look at things then, not even just an implicit theory of being a GM, but there's also implicit theories of player, mm -hmm. of playership as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, right now we're focusing on GMing. So if we, we might in the future revisit that idea of implicit theories of playership. Yeah, that might be a good idea. I mean, especially if you consider 70% of the fandom of gaming is the players like there's a lot more players than there are a dm in any one situation so and people often look at the dm as like, like being lifted up on a pedestal and the players as the audience but in reality the players are a collaborative part of the game and you can't have a game without players i there's no way i can disagree with that yeah even um, a solo game you play by yourself you are still the player certainly now when we speak of like this idea of implicit theories, I think it also fits in another theory we need to think about is self-categorization theory, mm -hmm. because this fits into that, because how much do you identify yourself, if you're a GM, how much do you identify that you properly align with what you expect of being a GM at the table, or as someone working as like a LARP coordinator? Mm -hmm. what your expectations are and how do you personally embody that? How do you fit that role? 
Because I think that can also impact how someone at the table is going to either behave or how they're going to feel. For example, if someone is a brand new GM, it's their first time running a game and they have these expectations about how one is supposed to run a game, they're probably going to feel stress. They might feel anxiety over trying to fit this idea that they have, especially if they might believe it's something that is fixed. If mm-hmm. they believe that the, the nature of being a GM is fixed and that you can't learn those skills. Absolutely. One of the cool yet frustrating things about humans and the way we learn is that we can learn from other people's experiences. And there aren't a lot of animals out there that can do that. There are some, but like we're probably the best at it on the planet right now. And what that means is, We learn things by watching other people and our experiences shape our expectations. So like when we're a little kid, we learn our implicit theories of self and about the and such from our parents and from our teachers and from our religious leaders and the adults in our life. And when we're learning something like jamming, we learn it from the jams we've had or from the jams we've seen on TV or listened to on podcasts or read about in like the how to be a GM section of somebody's website. Mm -hmm. Or even... I mean, every core gaming book that I have ever read typically has the how to be a GM or Masters of Ceremony or Mm -hmm, Storyteller mm -hmm. section. It's all there trying to instruct, here's how you do the thing. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when we look at this, it kind of makes me think that when people have talked about before about styles of GMing, Mm -hmm. that a lot of that comes down to these implicit theories of GMing Mm -hmm. itself. So what are some styles of GMing that you can think of? Well, there's kind of like three big styles that I think of when I think of styles of GMing. There's the simulationist, like the person who's creating a large open world that you're going to play around in, and they're sort of holding that world. And I think of that in terms of like LARPers who are setting a stage, and then they're moving through that stage and causing things or interacting with people. And then I think of that as people who create a large open world and let the players sort of pick their own story. Mm-hmm. And then I also think of um, set piece DMs who create interesting scenes and then you move from scene to scene to scene like beads on a chain. I think you can have some LARPs that work that way too, but I've seen that a lot in tabletop gaming. So kind of that idea that we hear of sometimes about railroad EGMs, that you are always set on the rails and the goal is to go from this point to this point to this point? Yes and no. Um, I've actually had, like, in fact, that same Dragon Ball Z DM was somebody who was very into the theater of role-playing, and it was a fade to black, fade up. So it was more like a movie. Mm. And there are some games that are actually designed to play that way. For example, Feng Shui, which is an action movie-based game where you're literally doing cuts from scene to scene, and the structure of the game is more beads on a chain. But yeah, railroading would be sort of like the the bad GMing or the GMing style gone too far version of that kind of thing where you can't break out of the story and do your own thing at all. See, I'm not entirely sure I agree that it's a bad thing though. Mm. Um, Because again, it gets that idea about what the expectations might be at the table. Because if someone has a very explicit story that they're wanting to tell and they know that the players have the buy-in, the players are bought into that idea, then they know we're going to go, let's give an example from Lord Lord of the Rings. You know, we have the Fellowship of the Ring. Eventually, we have to get to Mordor. Eventually, the ring has to end up in the volcano. So if someone has bought into that, they will follow those steps. And that it could be a great evocative story. For sure. I mean, I always I always hear the word railroading used as like a, a derivative of GMs, though. I never hear it as like a style. I tend to think of the style as being more of like the set piece or the 
the movement on in a direct story. Mm. And then the third type to sort of round out my three types would be the collaborative GM. And that's the person who's less hierarchical and more in the story with you. And you guys are all co-creating the story. And then I think of things like, um, oh gosh, the one that we were just talking about before we started recording and things where you're setting rules as a group and then moving through them. Oh, you mean, well, I think that fits within that idea of the collaborative storyteller. Mm -hmm. I know that, for example, when I look at games that are in the Power by the Apocalypse rule system, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of inviting players to answer questions for you about the universe that either you as the master of ceremonies didn't choose to think about, Mm -hmm. or you want to see what creativity they can bring, what stories they're interested in. So I know, for example, when I've done that, I think I was running Urban Shadows, which mm-hmm. is a modern fan- is a urban fantasy, urban horror game. And I asked a player, tell me about the vampire group that is vying for your territory. Now, that was not part of their sheet originally, but because that was kind of the norm that was set that I could ask these questions and then I would invite them to flesh these things out, they created a whole portion of the world that I hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. They created aspects of the of NPCs that I might have to portray, but it told me about the culture of what happens in that place. Mm-hmm. It told me about how power struggles might happen in that area. Mm-hmm. Another great system that I think of when I think of that style is the Genesis system, which is what Star Wars runs in, because the dice rolls force you to have cinematic results that may or may not be related to what you're rolling. Um, It works on a system of canceling out successes, failures and triumphs and despairs. And I've had situations where I failed to check but got a triumph. And then it's like, what happens? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is so overwhelmingly good, but not the actual thing you were looking for? Um, So it really encourages you from a mechanic perspective to use that kind of thinking. So fitting in with that idea, though, like the different styles of GMing, one of the things I feel like I've encountered are two different beliefs about what a GM is supposed to be sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it comes from maybe more traditional games like Dungeons and Dragons or even maybe Shadowrun versus story gaming, things like Fiasco, things like Apocalypse World where there's a difference of maybe being an antagonist of the players versus a fan of the players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that whole mindset of antagonist versus fan can show up in any style of game because it's really about the internal process and the psychological experience of the GM. People bring their stuff and their their suitcase full of baggage to ga- gaming and to GMing and playing the same way they do to everything else in life. And I think that the apocalypse style and the collaborative style definitely pulls for being a fan of the players and being committed to giving a good story, whereas some of the more hierarchical styles of setting can make more room for people to be more antagonistic. But ultimately, it comes down to the values that the GM places in storytelling. You know, why are you there? Is your goal to win? Is your goal to make a cool experience? Is your goal to have an, an awesome emotional experience? You know, and how you interpret that. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into, I think a really important question is how can we use this knowledge to make a game run better or make Mm -hmm. your experience at the table better? And I think what you're putting there forward about discussing and acknowledging what your expectations are and what you're wanting is the importance of having an open discussion about those things from both the GM side, but also from the player side. Mm -hmm. It's important to remember too, there's no play style that's wrong. Right. There's no DMing style that's inherently bad and no playing style that's inherently bad. There's mismatches. Absolutely. 
And sometimes somebody's stuff will get in the way and you'll have people behaving badly in general. But that's that's sort of separate from play style, I think. I would agree. And I think we see that too in, in the LARP scene as well. There are people out there that like what people more traditionally think of with LARPing. Uh, boffer weapons, you know, foam weapons, going out camping, the 1 a.m. monster that shows up at the cabins, things like that. While there might be other people who are there in what is considered either more in the realms of what's called the Nordic or also in the freeform styles of LARP, where you are there to tell an emotionally wrenching or emotionally fulfilling story, and then it's done. And there might not be physical contact, or there might be systems and rules to emulate certain types of physical contact, be they out of a nature of conflict or out of a nature of intimacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like having people who want to run a and d dungeon and all they want to do is make the most badass badasses and run the hardest dungeons they can. And people who want to have, you know, complex and detailed stories in an open world where there may or may not be intense political conflict with a fire kingdom. <clears throat> Absolutely. Or if you would like to look to James D'Amato of our network, if you want a game that is all about kissing and lots of kissing. Kissing. I mean, I'm for it, but it is about that discussion, the expectations. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the, the first thing to make your game better as we sort of roll back around to that idea is fit. Making sure that your expectations and your implicit theory and that of the players matches or at least overlaps. And part of that is what you handle, like you said, in that open discussion in your session zero or even over over the discord before you get to the game. You know, what do you want to see? What kind of game do you like to play? Do you like a lot of combat? Do you like a lot of emotions? And making sure that you match what you expect from your players to your actual people in the room. Absolutely. And it's not to say that if you don't have those matches, it won't be a good game. But having an open discussion about these things can allow you either as the GM or you as a player to adjust your expectations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In those times, you can adjust your implicit theory because you can go... Well, let's say that, Porter, you and I were going to be playing a game and you're my GM. I mm-hmm. might say, well, you don't exactly fit what I expect to be a GM, but I can either change my perception or know that you're just a different type. Sure. And also, too, a lot of GM frustration comes from having a bad match with their players. Like they want to tell a story in a certain way or they expect to and their players don't, won't, can't feel uncomfortable doing so. So then part of it is thinking about and taking time to step back when you're running a game and you feel frustrated and say, is the game that I'm running the game my players want to play or my players are playing? Because sometimes you'll put something out there as a DM, like, you know, here's this cool puzzle that I made and your players will barely interact with it and then go to the left down another hallway. And you're like, that was like 10 hours of work. (laughs) And there they go chasing that duck, you know? So it's about thinking about and constantly readjusting. Absolutely. I think just one thing to wrap us up then is even when you already have established the game and the game is going, it's important to have check-ins with your players. And with yourself. Absolutely. To sit down either with yourself and go, is this game either side of this table going the way that I'm hoping it would? Mm -hmm. Or is there something else that I'm wanting of this? And is it something that I can speak up to? Or to have the conversation at the table with players either or the GM going, hey, are we aligned here do we have the same goals for this game are we all still enjoying it mm-hmm. yeah, nothing's more comforting than having your gm sit down and check in with you about the obvious distress you had playing a character like i remember once i made a character that i thought sounded super fun to play and then the act of playing it was just rubbing up against a bunch of my personal emotional vulnerabilities so it became a lot of work to play and my gm noticed that and was able to sit down with me and go hey 
is this character really working for you? And like, I changed out the character to a totally different character and the game was a totally different experience for me and it was fun again. So just that kind of little quirky things can make it a huge difference in success and enjoyment. Well, I'm really glad to hear that your GM was so in touch on that. I was able mm-hmm. to recognize that. And I honestly, I think that I think this is a good spot for us to be able to wrap up on. Okay. I think we've given people the opportunity to learn about implicit theories and self-categorization and also how our understandings of what GMing can be and those styles and how it can be brought to the table. Yeah, I think it's just as long as we all remember to think about why we do the things we do, we'll all be better at doing the things we want to do. Absolutely. Well, we will see you all next session. Have a good one, heroes. If you've been enjoying Session Zero and other podcasts on our network, and you value independent creators being able to support themselves and continue to create content for you, consider supporting our network on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Your contributions to the OneShot Network helps us to pay for the studio that we record in, the content that we use to represent our work, the hosting of the podcast on the magic internet, and all the spicy water we consume. Becoming a contributor to the OneShot Network Patreon grants you access to bonus content in the network's secret archive, such as some of our personal gaming stories and possibly some of your favorite network characters on our pretend therapy couch. There are also other perks like the Gift and Book Club, the T-Shirt Club, and many more. Please consider contributing today. If you're looking for another show to listen to, why not try Character Creation Cast? Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bolter create characters in multiple RPGs with prominent guests from the games community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in depth for a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great Session Zero every week. Heroes, we would love to hear from you and hear your ideas for our show. You can find us on Twitter at Session Zero Pod, or you can email us at Session Zero at OneShotPodcast.com. The song you hear right now is Hikari by I Love Brandon off his album Earth and Sky. If you would like to hear more of his work, visit EYELoveBrandon.com or find him on Spotify, SoundCloud, Twitter, or wherever else you like to find your chill beats that listen to podcasts too. Remember, heroes, Session Zero is for sharing information, not for therapy. If you feel like you need support, check out Psychology Today's Find a Therapist database. If you're experiencing a crisis, head into the emergency room or text CONNECT to 741-741 from anywhere in the USA. Be safe out there, and we'll see you in the next session. <laughs>